Welcome to the Mark Steri Music Podcast. This podcast is audio journal of my guests and nice adventures throughout the live and local music biz. Fun conversations, cool tunes, and good times will be had. My name is Mark Steri, and I'm a 15-plus year veteran of the Twin Cities, Minnesota metro music scene. Check me out at Mark Steri, that's S-T-A-R-Y, music.net. Also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. All of my original music is available for download on iTunes, CD Baby, and most other places you get your music online. This podcast drops every Tuesday, if not before, on iTunes, SoundCloud, and most other places podcasts are available. If you enjoy it, please subscribe on iTunes. It's totally free and guarantees you'll never miss an episode. If you've got an extra buck or two you wouldn't mind tossing in the podcast tip jar, please visit patreon.com forward slash Mark Starry Music Podcast. Also, considering helping get the word out in the street via social media, five-star rating and review on iTunes, and or tell a friend or two. Happy Thought of the Day is by Charles Kuralt. Look for joy in your life. It's not always easy to find. Thanks for tuning in and welcome to the Mark Sterry Music Podcast. Enjoy! Welcome back to the Mark Sterry Music Podcast, episode 181. Thanks to all the folks who contribute to this podcast on Patreon.com. Coming at you on a beautiful spring day in my black Jeep here from the Roseville, Minnesota Public Library parking lot. The construction continues on the basement of my house since the pipes burst a few months ago. The workers are doing a good job and I can handle and work through the noise, but whatever radio station they are listening to plays the song... It's been a while since I said. Seems like every other song. And I'm seriously considering pulling a Jim Cornette and destroying that boombox with a tennis racket. Last week's Geeks Wrap Up. Wednesday, played a solo show at Pub 42 in New Hope, Minnesota. Great to see and chat some heart band reunited and bluegrass festival with longtime fan and buddy Randy T. Friday played a solo show at Danny's in Stillwater, Minnesota. Awesome dinner crowd. They loved the 70s AM gold music I was dishing out. In all the years I've played there, I think it was the first time that good old Bill was behind the bar slinging his fancy cocktails. Saturday played a duo show at Seven Brothers in Clayton, Wisconsin. Good to have high school and college buddy Topcat tagging along. Had a hard time battling for audience attention with the Brewers and NCAA tournament games, but still got some rocking in. Shows. Wednesday, April 3rd, 2019, I'll be playing a solo show at Pub 42 in New Hope, Minnesota from 7.30 to 9.30 p.m. Friday, April 5th, I'll be playing a solo show at Ingredients in White Bear Lake, Minnesota from 6 to 8.30 p.m. Saturday, April 6th, Mr. Brian K. Johnson and myself will be rambling on up to Breezy Point, Minnesota to rock out at Commander Bar, a.k.a. JJ's Pub, from 5 to 9 p.m. Is part one of three with legendary radio talk show host, writer, musician, and founder of the Mishki Roadshow podcast, TD, a.k.a. Tom Mishki. We talk the hat man, local dishwashers, Stillwater prison art teachers, and more. Enjoy the conversation.
Welcome to the Mark Sterry Music Podcast, everybody. I'm here with Tom, aka TD Mishki. Do you prefer to go as Tom or TD? Oh, you can just be. It can just be Tom. Just be Tom. Yeah. TD was just something I did because I got into radio at the same time my dad died, and he wanted my initials to be TD always because I was 11 pounds, six ounces when I was born. And he was convinced I was going to be this big football player. So he said to my mom, I don't care what you name him as long as the initials are TD. So I got into radio right at the point that he died. And I just, as a nod to him, I went with those and they stuck and I have them to this day, but nobody calls me TD really. (laughs) That's awesome. We're here at uh, Tom's beautiful home, a colonial-style house here in St. Paul, Minnesota. And we've been talking about, I've been binging Tom's awesome podcast, The Mishki Roadshow. This episode comes to you thanks to RF Moeller Jeweler. They are in Edina, Highland Village in downtown Minneapolis. RF Moeller, celebrating your milestone. And uh, Tom suggested I listen to one episode about Ely, and I just finished it this morning. And we were talking about, Tom was just going to tell me about how he found this this character on the show. And I just figured I'd start recording right here. So what was the guy's name again on the Ely episode? That was another fun thing, his name I'd never encountered before, Ropey. Ropey, which apparently is not that unusual a name in the Finnish world. Uh, it is a short form of Robert for the Finlanders. So he was ropey. And I encountered him living a Jeremiah Johnson type life in the woods outside Ely, where he had been for years and years and years, uh, living pretty much illegally, uh, hunting out of season and cutting down trees that weren't his. It's a wild life out there. There must not be a lot of law enforcement. I'm not entirely sure what the rules are in Ely. A lot of renegades there. A lot of people checked out of society. But I found him by uh, knocking on the door of the local famous radio station, the one Charles Kuralt used to own. Hello, I'm Charles Kuralt. One day in 1967, I thought I'd take a ride and see what was going on in the countryside. Izzy Blackman there came along which is what I often do when I come into town, is poke my head in the door of local media, some small-town newspaper, small-town radio station. They know everybody. And they started to talk about a guy in the woods named Ropey. And for me, I've done somewhere around 109 podcasts. For me, he was kind of the quintessential guest that I look for. My mother married... uh a hardcore World War II vet who was shot down twice in the Pacific in the 5th Army Air Corps. My dad took no shit from anybody. When I was a little kid, he threw me down steps. He beat me up in the middle of the night, come off of shift work. He'd whip me with a belt while I was in bed. Just a guy who's living a life wildly unlike the lives of anybody I know, an iconoclast, an eccentric, a guy out on the margins, just doing something a little different, looking at this world a little differently and moving through it in a way the rest of us choose not to. And those guys are who I like to plug into. And if I can find nothing but them, great. It's very hard to do that, however, all the time. My general rule with people is Almost without exception, everyone loves talking about themselves if they feel you're truly interested. If they really think you're interested in their life, 
who doesn't? I mean, it's rare to find someone who A, isn't flattered by that, B, doesn't have a bunch in them that they've wanted to get out, if anyone would ever ask, and C, if the back and forth, I mean, what is there in life ultimately beyond human interaction, a great conversation? I mean, outside of that, what is there? There's some good sunsets, there's some good music to play, a good food to eat, but boy, a conversation, a good conversation, that's sort of at the top of the list. I think most of us on our deathbeds will remember human interaction. So I don't realize, I don't feel I have to try that hard to draw anything out of people. Uh, I'm naturally curious, and they're naturally flattered someone's curious about them. I can do a podcast interview for more hours than anyone would ever sit because my questions and my curiosity are endless. And I have yet to find somebody who really is closed up, uh, won't, won't open up. One of the things I think you have to be is non-threatening. Uh, you can't, they can't look across the table and see someone who they think is better than them. Uh, then then you get a little nervous. But I just show up and, oh, it's just some guy. I mean, I'm just some guy. I'm not anybody that they need to care about. And the fact that I'm interested in them, they just roll. They just roll. And I'm interested in their lives. You know, not tell me about what you were doing last month. I, I mean, tell me Tell me your life story, because I start there with the idea that when we hit the cool parts, I'll move in and I'll go deep and I'll go off into all these different uh, directions. And if we don't hit any cool parts, I'll just keep going till we get there. I got nothing but time. It's not live. It's pre-recorded. So Ropey, he just opened up and, you know, he was dying in the show. It's it's talked about. He doesn't have long to live. Man, add that to the equation. How many people on their deathbed kind of want to say what they think needs to be said? So you just showed up at the house mm-hmm. and just said, hey, Ropey, can I just talk to you about your life? Yeah, I told him who I was. You know, I always do the background of I did talk radio for 20 years in the Twin Cities. Your kids listening? Kids? Why don't you kick your parents out and uh, just tell them this is your time. The following is not uh, suitable for parents. Kids, gather on your radios. I quit radio when podcasting came along. It allowed me to get out of the studio and move around the country. But I've made a living talking to people. That's what I do. And I'm curious about the human condition. I'm curious about people, the variety of people that... This world presents, and I think people understand that, just that that right there they get. Um, they might ask what a podcast is from time to time, as he did, but that I go around journalistically curious about humanity and that I would like to know about their life. Again, I think of anybody doing that to me. I can't imagine saying no. I just, oh, no, nope, nope, that's a secret. And I can't imagine saying, I've got 500 better things to do today. Really? Do I? I don't, I don't know. I think a good conversation ought to move to the top of the list with a cup of coffee or a beer. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. 
So picturing you going in there, do you have a little – what's your setup when you interview these folks? So we have a little Behringer board here, an iPad, a couple mics. What do you do? <laughs> this is big time compared to what I have. So you have, you have a professional setup here. I have an iPhone. I have an iPhone with a microphone on it that you barely see, barely notice. So no one talking to me after the first 15 minutes remembers – we're recording. By the time we're 15 minutes in, they're just talking in a big chair in their house. Somewhere around is a iPhone with a microphone on it. It's probably on about five books to their left. But they're just talking, and routinely I get from these people, oh, yeah, i got to remind myself we're recording here, aren't we? Yes, we are. But that's that wonderful quality of versus the radio studio, which was always intimidating. You know, the radio, come into the radio studio at CCO or KSTP, put on this headset. Wait, what? That really allowed people to endlessly be aware that, oh, every word I say is being heard by what? Back then, 50,000 watts, wherever it was going. This is, I'm talking to Mishki in my house. I'm candid and open, and at the end, I feel bad because I forgot to remember this was for something called a podcast. Do people listen to those? Will will more than 10 people hear this? That's what relaxes them, is just that not knowing. Because think about it. These aren't professionals. None of the people I talk to do interviews very often, if ever. They're just average people, you know? So. Yeah. Um. Do you ever have them contact you afterwards or say something where I've done podcasts for a number of years as well? And sometimes I'll interview a musician or a person in the business, whatever. And they'll contact me later and say, oh, can you cut out that part, what I said about this? Or can you cut out that part I said I never about have, that? I never have had that. No, I never have had that once. And I've been doing interviews for close to a quarter century, and I have never had a human being sorry they talked to me. Um, never had anybody express regret that they let me in their house or that they allowed me to record what they said. I think, I think people look good afterward. I think, I think with all their faults and all their weaknesses and strengths and I, I think people look, and by good, I mean beautiful in a way that they, they realize, yeah, that, that's me. That's who I am. I've had people say after listening to themselves, I feel like I attended my own funeral. I've had people say I started crying. A lot of people say they started crying after listening to the interview because there's their life reflected back at them. And a lot of these guys, when I encounter them, have lived a while. They've put in some years and there it is being reflected back, and it's moving to hear your life. Um, I can't imagine what it's like for these people who have these near-death experiences and see their whole life pass before them. They must be a puddle at the end of that, too. It's just quite something to, to hear your life come back at you. All the crazy things, all the, all the conflict, all the joy, all the weirdness. So, yeah, mostly I just get that people felt like they just had one of those this-is-your-life moments. Yeah. One thing I really enjoy about your podcast is all the variety of shows and the variety of topics. Um, for your most recent episode, it was one about the dishwashers. 
I was kind of a wannabe Buddhist. And so when your job is that low on the totem pole, you do kind of have to destroy your ego and make yourself not your job. I made it almost into a joke where that was kind of my my moniker. I was Dishwasher Dave. And was that around the Twin Cities here? Yeah, those guys were all Twin City people. And I, it was such cool. Some of these people had just great like logic. One of my favorite guys that was on there that said that his like motto on the show was, you know, ramekins over retail. Like he'd rather wash these awful ramekins over than work in some retail job. They were just so proud of their dishwashing job. So how did the idea pop in your head to interview dishwashers? Because you used to do it, you said, right? Yeah, I used to be a dishwasher. By the way, did you know what a ramekin was before that show? I didn't. I did. Because I have my family teases each other about one of my family members uses a ramekin or something, and none of us knew what it was either. So, like, just this last couple of years, they started using it as a joke in my family. Okay, and and what describe what a ramekin is? Because I I'm can't not even do. sure. Well, it's like it's like word. a little. Uh, is it is it porcelain or? It's 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 a ridged small container bowl that you you make a creme brulee in or something, and it's apparently a nightmare to clean. And so this dishwasher was talking about how it's the ramekins, and other dishwashers concur. Apparently, this is well known. It's the ramekins that make a dishwasher's life hell. Ramekins, and uh, after beating up on ramekins for about fifteen minutes in an interview, this dishwasher paused momentarily to say, "But." I'll take ramekins over retail. You ever worked retail? <laughs> I said, wow, quite an indictment of retail. But And then he ended it with, yeah, I hate people. But the dishwasher thing came actually out of a dream. I was uh, woken up in the middle of the night, and I don't know what was going on in the dream, but I found myself... The, the, all I can remember is wanting to go the opposite direction... I typically go with my interviews. I'm always looking for the remarkable, the the extraordinary, the otherworldly. I mean, I've interviewed middle-aged women who have sat there and clear-eyed and with with credibility have told me about their multiple alien abductions. I've sat across from people who have, you know, talked about the night they snuck into the World Trade Center, shot a rope across to the other uh, building of the World Trade Center, and then walked it in the morning like a tightrope illegally. Philippe Petit, the famous uh, Frenchman. You know, so I talked to these people and, and Ropey's stories of being uh, flying down a raging river on top of his... his uh, uh, mobile home as the rapid city floods from the 70s just sent him flying dead bodies everywhere you know just extraordinary experiences well i woke up in the middle of the night saying why why do i seek that out why did, why is that the automatic go to person to interview what can't i pull out of the average the run of the mill the garden variety the cookie cutter what about just going to what many would consider the bottom rung of employment in this world, just a restaurant dishwasher. I mean, it's listed in desirable jobs as 335th out of 340 in America. The only ones below there are prostitute, envelope stuffer, beggar. Uh, I forget what else. You listed them. I forgot what they were, too. Yeah, probably crack dealer or something. Anyway, the, the idea was... 
sure, surely they're as fascinating as anybody. It's my, it's my problem. It's my issue that I don't go talk to them. So it was more a personal challenge to me to just go talk to dishwashers about their lives and their work. And I just found a few of them. I think I interviewed six and I was glad I did. Um, I also found myself wondering, why don't I have a dishwasher for a friend? That Just that question of, I don't, you know, there are, there are half a million dishwashers in America right now. I don't have one for a friend. Why is that? Even, a, even an acquaintance. Is there something I have against dishwashers? I want to sit with these dishwashers. Every guy I sat with, I would gladly have made my buddy. And I just found myself intrigued by this whole thing. So... And they all had interesting lives and different stories and, and ways of looking at the world. So that's where that came about. Very cool. So I consider that kind of a feel-good story, kind of one of those you, you look back, oh, that was fun, let's do it, and interesting, you know. And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm still going on listening to your podcast, and all of a sudden, the Hat Man episode comes yeah. up. That was frightening. He had the white, I could see the wide brim hat. I could see the blackness, the black face, the outline all the way down to where I could tell he had like a long jacket, but then the, the legs weren't really there. I don't know. I couldn't see him. Maybe the bed was there. And this time he grabbed my ankles and I feel it. Feels exactly like if I were touching you right Yeah. So the variety of your stuff from like yeah. dead serious, like uh, the one I want to talk to you still about this episode, uh, would be like the Stillwater Prison one too, right. where they're kind of feel good and happy, some funny, right. and all of a sudden like the hat man was just terrifying. Right. And the hat man falls into the category of what I typically look for again. I mean, if I could just write it out for people, I would say, give me a human experience someone is having, someone is having, or a life someone is leading that is wildly unlike anyone else you know or anything else you know or have encountered or come upon. Well, the hat man qualified. Uh, you know the Twin Cities uh, singer-songwriter James Loney at all? I can't see the light, but I know it's there. Yeah, the skies are gray. Yes. Yeah, so James passed that woman's name to me. He said... You know, I don't know if this is going to be interesting, and this is how I get my ideas often. I don't know if this is going to be interesting to you, Mishki, but there's this woman I know. She comes to hear me play from time to time, and she has these crazy visits at night from some hat man guy. I don't know. It's really weird and out there, and, you know, you might want to give her a call. Well, just that alone, that's always enough for me to, to put in a call. He, he doesn't know a lot, but it's sounding very odd, and uh, A... It's true. B, it's way more involved than that. C, she's open to talking to me about it, which, you know, this is getting into some pretty wild stuff that's happening to her at night in bed. And I could see someone saying, well, I don't know that I want to put this out to the world. But on the contrary, she was up for it. And we met at a library on the east side of St. Paul. She wanted to meet in a I said, I just got to have a quiet room. You know, I don't care if it's my house or your house. And she said, well, there's a little room, study room at the library. And uh, over a couple days, sitting in that little room, she just told me her story over 40 years. The story of the visits of the hat man, which even right now I get chills just saying that. Because if I could get through this life without those kind of experiences, 
I'd be a happy man. It's, uh, it's something I wouldn't wish on anyone, and I'll, I'll leave it there. I, I don't know how much I want to give away, but it's, it's worth listening to that story. And I don't recommend many of my podcasts because it's like recommending a song. You don't know what other people's tastes are. You don't know what moves them or what they like or are interested in. And so I'm always careful uh, there, but there are a few with, uh, with ease that I say, hey, uh, I doubt you'll have wasted your time if you spend 50 minutes with this show. Or, and really what I'm recommending is they hear this person's story, this person's life, this person's extraordinary tale. So that woman and the hat man, I won't come across, I won't find another one like that. That's its own wild world. Do you get a lot of feedback from your shows? I do. I get a lot of emails. There's a contact form at my website that a lot of people use to get a hold of me. And it's, it's just interesting what moves people, what, what gets them to write. I, I just did one. I'll just tell you this dishwasher show. At the, at the end, there's a woman who's had a pretty rugged go. She's about 30 years old. She's a dishwasher in the Twin Cities. Ran away from home as a child uh, to Colorado. Um, lived in weird places in Louisiana. Got into crime. Got into drugs. Arrested several times. Just by the time she was an adult, she'd had a crazy life. And she's telling her story. That moved a man to write what would have been, if I was paging through it with typewriter paper, a four-page letter in an email about how this woman connected with him and his own life and his own story and moved him. And he started to tell me his whole life story. And it was this most powerful, beautifully written letter. And I said, you mean to tell me that that 30-year-old woman kind of shy talking about a rough go and how dishwashing is kind of her salvation because she puts on the headphones and cranks the music and disappears from the world. That's what moved you to, to spend what looks like about three hours writing this to me? It's, it's miraculous to me what, what affects people. And someone else would just blow by that woman. You know, we're all so different, and that's, that's something that endlessly intrigues me, the some people I run into, why'd you do a dishwasher show? I don't get it. You know, and I get what they're saying, too. Why would you do that? They're not interesting. But it's like two songs. You know, I could play a song for you and a play, or two people and a song. I play a song for you and I play it for, a, for someone else. You get goosebumps. Maybe it even changes your day. The other person is, goes, when's this over? Why is that? We don't even know the answer to that. We have no idea why that is. I mean, you can't even analyze it enough to get to why it is because it has to do with everything that's happened to you from the time you were born to that moment, along with every part of your DNA. And, yeah, it's, it's odd. So, long answer. But. No, it's, that's super interesting. I know that being in the music business and I play shows about four nights a week, I work with dishwashers. I see them every single night, and I don't really know very many either. So it was very interesting, and that woman in particular struck out to me. Besides the the ramekin guy, as just she just seems so like 
uh, just genuine. Yeah. And just that she just like, like she's really trying and she's really, you know, not happy with herself, how she behaved earlier in her life and stuff. And it was just, I thought it was really endearing as well. You know, the thing with dishwashers is where they are in life, there's no, there's no braggadocio or bluster or bravado or, or ego that you're encountering because they're already in a state of, of, of humility with where they are in life, and thus they're just open. And one thing, we could all take a lesson from just just that openness with each of them. They, there was, they weren't putting on any airs. There was no, nothing, no facade, no phoniness, which you see all over the world. I mean, you, I don't think your average bank president could have given me that, you know? Yeah. Um, one more I want to talk about for mm-hmm. you in this first episode mm-hmm. here. One of your episodes, the Miski Roadshow. Mishki Roadshow. I don't know why I'm It's a tough this. one. Mishki Roadshow. I, and not until Roadshow. I heard you saying it did I realize, why did I name it that? That's, that's hard to say. Tongue-tied. I didn't do my, my little <laughs> exercises before I started this. I went to school to be an art teacher. I graduated from Stout as an art teacher. And uh, I do music now and stuff, but I still do teach art courses in my hometown. And then I do do therapy dog work in the inner city schools, and sometimes we work at like, juvies and stuff like that. So your episode about the art teacher in Stillwater Prison really struck home. Eventually, in 1977, they asked me if I wanted to go full-time. And I thought, well, that wasn't my goal. You know, my goal is not to teach in some shithole prison. But I thought, how exciting. You know, it's kind of like watching cop. Yeah. Um, that was a very uh, eye-opening episode, um, how he came there with such good intentions, and then by the end it just kind of it kind of wore him down a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, he arrives there as, as a guy with the perfect combination of qualities to teach at Stillwater in the early 70s, which was an absurd institution back then. I mean, the inmates were running the asylum. It was horrifically violent. Uh, it was, it, you can't imagine a pre-Attica, a lot of things changed after the Attica riots. But anyway, he arrives as a former Twin Cities gang member in, in white gangs, which there were many of back in the uh, 60s, in the Twin Cities. So he's a brawler and a gang guy who also is a hell of an artist, extraordinary talented artist. And they need an art teacher to replace the one who's quitting in Stillwater, probably quitting after six months, replacing one who had quit after three months, because who the hell wants to teach art to serial killers? And those were his students murderers, brutal, brutal people, rapists, uh, just, he, he goes in and he finds it's, it's one of the most challenging jobs he could ever imagine. I mean, the military and going to Vietnam was another option. (laughs) This looked like he might not survive either. And I don't know how he did survive because there were people murdered in his class periodically. But He does it because he says, I wanted to show that I could do something that almost no one else on earth could do. And he put in four straight decades with these guys, and it destroyed him. At the end, he's he's finished off. Post-traumatic stress. I mean, I interviewed a man with the curtains pulled on a bright summer day in his house, in the corner, 
gun sitting right next to him at all times, doesn't go out, would not walk down the sidewalk with a guy behind him to save his life, would never go to a state fair type situation, doesn't trust humanity. Everybody out there is a potential killer. Um, the world is is a scary, terrifying place, and he knows that's what Stillwater did to him. He did not spend 40 years around a single healthy, normal human being, and it did him in. But his story of those years is incredible. It's unlike, again, unlike anything you will hear anyone else say. You won't say, that reminds me about my buddy Tom and his experiences for 40 years at the other prison. No, these guys have that quality of sui generis, one-of-a-kind people. It's really, if I can find, I only do 12 podcasts a year, and it's hard to find 12 of those a year. 12 people wholly unique, but he was to me. So, How did you find him? My old producer at CCO. Uh, I called him the kid, Chris Elston. He quit CCO and went on to do a job where you sold something about roofs. It was a, not re-roofing, was it, was it gutters, special gutters? Something where you, went, you got called and as a salesman you went to the person's house. This guy had some roof issue. And Chris walked in the door and walked out three hours later. He ended up having a pretty wild experience in there. And he wrote me when he got out. He said, there were times in the house I didn't know whether or not I was going to walk out of that house. I was simultaneously intrigued, terribly curious and interested, and also terrified in that house. I didn't know what this guy's story was, what he was about, but Mishki, this might be a candidate for your show. I asked him if I could give you his number. He said yes. That's what I had when Chris left there. And that gun in front of him the whole time terrified Chris. It turned out that wasn't for him, and there was never, he was never threatened. But he hadn't been around a guy who had to have a gun in front of him the whole time. I realized why the guy had a gun in front. I've met people. I've met people all over this country who behind their closet door, behind their front door, behind their back door, behind their porch door, shotguns are everywhere. They're waiting for the person to come that may or may not be coming. I don't personally live that way, but I don't know what experiences could make me start to think that way. I suppose a couple of bad ones. Wow. Some amazing stories there, Tom. Thank you for sharing them and thank you for your awesome podcast. Um, please check out the Mishki Roadshow. And uh, we're hanging out here with Tom Mishki in his beautiful house here in St. Paul. Legendary radio talk show host, writer, musician, and producer. And the end of every episode I do, I always do a story behind the song segment. And since you are a songwriter and a musician yourself, I'd like to ask you about the story behind the song off the 2008 record, That Kind of Day, your song, That Kind of Day. Kicking around the house with these memories again. Wow. Well, first of all, I haven't thought of that song in forever. I haven't played it in forever. I never expected to be asked about it. Uh, that kind of day. I remember where I was when I wrote it. I was living across the street from the Day by Day Cafe. 
Uh, it was March, that month when things are gray and slushy outside, when the snow, there's a line in there, the snow's half rain. That's what it was like. And I was, uh, I was in my 20s, and I was living in this dumpy place. Uh, all the cigarette smokers below on the first floor, all that smoke came up through the vents and filled my place. And it was a slushy gray day. And I got up and I just had that feeling of, uh, I think, I can't remember the lyrics too well, but ain't gonna tuck my shirt in today. It's sloppy outside. The snow's half rain. I think I'll kick around the house with these memories again. It's that kind of day. Um, I just had that feeling of uh, wanting to just hang out at home, play music, be disheveled, and and let the day kind of wash over me. It's, I don't. I don't. I'd have to look at the lyrics to remember more than that. But it's that feeling you have sometimes when you're young. You've moved out. You're on your own, and you've got to figure out what to do with your life. And I wasn't doing much anything with my life then, and just sort of saying, "Yeah, today I'm not going to try to figure out what to do with my life. Today I'm not going to think about much of anything at all because look out there." Look at that gray, sloppy March day. This house is looking pretty good. What song can I put on? Or maybe I'll just go over to that piano there and I'll just let my hair be all tangled up and wear this stupid torn shirt and just live like a bum for a day. And that feels pretty good. I think it was that. That's my guess. That's awesome. Uh, Mr. Tom Mischke, thanks for being on the Mark Sterry Music Podcast. Please tune in next week for part two. Thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of the Mark Staring Music Podcast. Hope you've enjoyed the program. We'll see you back here for a new podcast about life and times in the live and local music scene each and every Tuesday, if not before, on iTunes, SoundCloud, and most other places podcasts are available. This is a listener-supported podcast, so if you'd like to get on board, please visit patreon.com forward slash Mark Music Podcast. If you enjoyed some of the musical edits on this show, please head on over to your local record store or do some digging on iTunes and load up on some new songs. Also, if you get a chance, please go check out some live music somewhere. It could be a great and worthwhile experience. Life is short. Go have some fun. Till next time.
my feet on these old 